Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. I tell you, we get into traditions here in our roundtable, and I start introducing our panel members either from my left to my right and my right to my left. I never get to introduce Mick first, so Mick, you're across from me, so I'm going to introduce you first. Mick Wells is the president of Wells of Salvation Ministries. He has been a member of Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. He is one of the co-host of Cross Connection Radio, Steve Wilson, a graduate from United Theological Seminary in Dayton. He is an author, a computer game programmer. Vicki Cundiff, one of the staff pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio, is our third panelist in addition to me today. And we are here today to discuss something that is very traditional in the church. And in fact, Mick, it kind of came to me that Maybe this would be a good thing to look at in the Scripture after you had shared about the 23rd Psalm. Mm, Sure. And for me, one of the ways that I have prayed a lot is looking at what is called the Lord's Prayer. And this is a very traditional prayer. It is sometimes known as the Our Father. If you talk to the people in the Roman Catholic Church, they refer to it as the Our Father. Some people will refer to it as the Disciples' Prayer. It's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer in in many Protestant um, denominations. And I want to share really quickly that I am not like Joe Expert on all this stuff, but I love this prayer And I love learning more about this prayer. And a lot of what I have gleaned from this has come from especially two people who I've read their works on it and another person who um, led a Bible study on the entire Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew. And of course, the Lord's Prayer is in there. And then a third person gave me some really great insights as to a possibility of what one of the petitions can mean. I'll probably mention these people occasionally, but uh, I just want to let you all know that I'm not Mr. Expert here, but I really do uh, trust what these people are saying, and they've given me some great insights. So what is the Lord's Prayer? What do you think about anybody when you think of the Lord's Prayer? Does anybody have any thoughts what they think about when they think of the Lord's Prayer? Well, I can say that um, the Lord's Prayer is very deep, of course, but I kind of think of it as being used uh, when people don't know what else to say. You know, it's it's kind of you're at a funeral or you're at uh, some kind of event where, well, if nothing else, people know the Lord's Prayer, so let's say that. Would you say that they know that because um, it's something that they've been taught maybe from their earliest years, especially if they've been in church? Yeah, it's very familiar. It's it's short. It's easy to, to memorize. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of something like, um, I don't know if they do this in school much anymore, but when I was in grade school, we learned the Pledge of Allegiance in public school. And when I was in uh, 
catechism class, CCD, we called it, in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, We were that much Catholic that they sent us to those classes, and we learned the Lord's Prayer then. I think I may have even learned it before that, so it's something that I've known from my earliest days. In fact, I can't remember a time when I didn't know the Lord's Prayer, and I know that it's very meaningful to some people. I have just one quick illustration. Um, I remember, and I may have even shared this on one of our previous episodes, where um, I was at the bedside as a pastor of a lady who was dying. She had had a stroke. She was very um, elderly, and they knew that she was not going to be around much longer. She hadn't spoken for several days, and when I would visit with her before her stroke, she and I would often pray the Lord's Prayer together. And she um, started hearing me pray the Lord's Prayer after she'd had the stroke and hadn't responded. And all of a sudden, her mouth started moving along with me. She knew this prayer from her heart. And I know that her sister was standing there. And her sister was just so overwhelmed in a good way about this, knowing that, that her sister knew what was going on enough to pray that prayer. So it's a very meaningful prayer for people. At the same time, um, what does it mean? You know, we can get into a lot of deep stuff about the Lord's Prayer. And what was interesting to me is that after hearing um, it being talked about in the Bible studies that I talked about in the books I've been reading about it, as I said, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's just a very small part of the Sermon on the Mount, which goes two or three chapters long, and uh, actually about, yeah, about three chapters long, and this is just several verses. And so I thought maybe it would be good to look at an introduction right before Jesus starts talking about the Lord's Prayer. He's talking about prayer in general. So Vicki, I've asked if you would read verses 5 through 8 in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So verses 5 to 8 are basically saying, This is what not to do when you're praying. And then it goes on to say a few things like, um, do this where you're not being seen. Your father understands. He knows what you need. Um, Just a quick note here that the word you in there where he says, and when you pray, that's a plural word. And one of the Bible commentators, one of the teachers who was talking about this said, this is like talking to everybody when you all pray or if you want to be down south, when y'all pray. Um, That's kind of what he means, when y'all pray. And he said that the idea is that the assumption is that, hey, you are praying. So when you do this, this is how you should pray. I want to make a point. This isn't necessarily saying this is what you should pray, but that this is kind of a pattern. Would you all agree with me on that? Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, and he he's trying to say, you know, don't pray this way and kind of like looking to be seen. And uh, also in that chapter, he says, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, you know, they were some of them, uh, the leaders were doing it like a showmanship thing of what mm-hmm. other people saw in them. Uh, but I think that, you know, as he follows in with the Lord's Prayer, what he's trying to show us here is this, this is something very intimate and personal. Uh, prayer is between uh, you and your father. Mm-hmm. So if it's personal and if Jesus says, 
go into your room, close the door when you pray. Is this a prayer that we're supposed to pray to ourselves and God? Or is this, or is Jesus saying, when you pray in public, this is what you should pray? Uh, in other words, a short prayer like this, not babbling like your other public prayers have been? I think there's a uh, little bit of both of that in there. I think it can be looked at either way. Um, it's not wrong to pray this at all, I think, as an individual in your closet. Um, at the same time, if people are going to be praying and praying in unison, that's another idea. I mean, not everybody in every church prays in unison. I know that the first time I heard people praying together in the Church of the Nazarene, I thought it was a, a thundercloud because everybody was praying different things. But I was used to um, having prayers in unison when I did go to church, and the Lord's Prayer was part of that. So I think that it can serve in, in more than one way, Steve. If that's, uh, I think that answers your question, doesn't it? Yes. Great. And that kind of prayer like that is not refer referencing babbling, because even though everyone is praying, they're still praying individually uh, to their Father. They're just doing it corporately. Right, exactly. Well, what I thought we should look at here is, why don't we look at what the Bible actually says that the prayer should pray? In fact, verse 9 starts with Jesus saying that this is how you should pray, um, kind of like saying pray thusly and again the you is plural and so the statement is emphatic it's like y'all do this <laughs> and so when it says y'all do this or y'all say this or y'all pray like this mick would you start with uh, verse 9 and then read uh through verse 13 which is the end of the prayer in matthew yeah just a comment though when we all do this uh in unison as a congregation i've never been part of that process where they've recited anything other than the King James, which is what a lot of folks out there are going to be familiar with. However, I'm going to read this from the New International Version. And the prayer, as recorded in uh, Matthew chapter 6, says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yes, it's a little bit different than the part that, or the way that some of us have memorized it, isn't it? Well, you, have you been in those uh, recitations in unison in a congregation and get to that point of confusion where people pause to see if your neighbor's going to say dead or trespasses, yep. you know, and, and it goes smoothly from there, but uh, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, sometimes when, um, when I've been leading a group in the Lord's Prayer, um, I will often say, let's use the word, and uh -huh. I say that beforehand. I found that, that that helps people to know what we're going to say, and, and they'll say it together like that. So... Those are interesting words. Again, you don't have to pray these words specifically every time you pray, but it's a model prayer. I think that's the best way to say it. It's a model prayer. And if you do pray these words when you pray, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, especially if you really um, mean what they, what they say, if you're meaning what you say when you say them. Um, and in fact, it starts out with a word that's very important, our it's our. I mean, our last episode that we, we had, uh, Steve talked about what it means to be part of the family of God. You were kind of leading that episode for us, Steve. 
And this word our is something that uh, just shows us that we are not alone in this. We are part of a bigger picture. Um, God, the Father, is the Father of all believers. And when we're praying this prayer, we can't be praying it selfishly because this prayer connects us as brothers and sisters. And God is the Father of Jesus. And Steve, as you said in our last episode, I think you said it, or we alluded to it anyway, that that Jesus is now our brother. And I think that's a pretty cool thing, because just that one little word, our, and then it's talking about Father. Now, this isn't in my notes, because this is something that I've thought of as an illustration. But we don't really have authoritative fathers in our day and age here, um, as far as having the, the... life and death say over over kids. Back in the ancient days, they did. And um, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. I'm just noticing the clock. I'm going to get a little bit more into this in just a few moments, but we do need to take a quick break for our sponsor. So I'm going to take this break, and then I'm going to get back into this whole idea of what it meant to be a father as we get into the Lord's Prayer some more when we come back from our break. And we're back with Reconciling Grace, talking about the Lord's Prayer. And we've gotten all the way up to the second word of the prayer. This might be a uh, 28-episode topic here if we aren't careful. I don't think we're going to go that far, really. But just that word, Father, it has an interesting meaning, because this is what I was going to get at when I said it isn't necessarily in my notes for this. But have you ever thought about what it must be like, even in our United States culture, to be a child of the President of the United States. What would that be like? Has anybody ever given that any thought, what it would be to be like a child, be the child of a President of the United States? It'd be too much attention. Too much attention, as, as a child, you mean? Yeah. Okay, but what would your relationship be with that person? He'd be your father or, or mother, let's not be sexist, but all the presidents up until the point that this has been um, being recorded have been males, that that person would be your father. But he'd also be arguably the, the most powerful person in the nation, some would say in the world. But he's still your father. And this kind of, it, it, it's not such a great illustration in the United States because the president isn't all-powerful, the way that a king would be, the way that a king was in the days when Jesus spoke these words, when when Caesar was in charge of um, the Roman world back then. But there is a balance here, because when you're using the word father, it's our father, but at the same time, he's the most powerful person there is. And when you use the word our father, he uses the word in Greek, Abba, A-B-B-A. And I'm not talking about the singing group that my daughter really started to like when, when they sang that, uh, those songs. Uh, what was the movie? Mamma Mia, a number of years ago. My daughter fell in love with that movie. But we're not talking about the singing group. Abba is the Greek word for father. It's, it's actually more closely associated with the word daddy. It gives an intimacy there. So we're talking to God, the Father, the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient, the all-powerful is what we're saying, yet at the same time, he's our daddy. 
What do you think of that? You know, I can hear some people calling that sexist. Why can't we call God our parents in the Lord's Prayer? Well, we probably could. Um, but Jesus said, Father, again, that was probably part of the whole um, culture of the day, both the Jewish culture, the, the Roman culture. Um, um, I don't know that we can actually assign a gender to God, but, um, you know, that might be an entire new Bible study. Steve, maybe <laughs> I'm going to assign you that one for, for another time. But uh, that's a good question to ask. But let's say parent, let's say father, the idea being all-powerful yet intimate. As a woman, I have no problem with calling him father. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's part of what we need to look at. Um, we don't always get our way is part of what um, I was hearing about in a um, Bible study about this. Why? Because if I'm asking my father for something, but he's also your father, Steve, or yours, Vicki, and, and yours, Mick, and even Bob's, maybe what I want isn't always going to be what one of you wants. I mean, does everybody here have siblings? Mm -hmm. Everybody in this room has siblings? Now, I'm sure that we all, when we grew up, always wanted the exact same things our siblings did, right? We never fought, and we never had to have our parents look at us and say, okay, we're going to make this decision for you. But just that word, our, think about that. When we're saying our father... We're acknowledging that we're not in this alone, that the answers to the things we want to talk about are also dependent on the fact that there are other children who are children of our Father as well. Uh, Pete, I I don't know if this is the right place to say it or anything, but um, this is uh, what I consider basically a perfect prayer, uh, where Christ tells us to pray this way. And uh, as Vicki has pointed out uh, off microphone here, that this models, uh, it's a model. It's not necessarily one that has to be perfect in terms of rote repetition and and recall. I find to get away from the mechanics of something becoming rote just like a a dinner prayer Mm -hmm. is to paraphrase. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I have no problem uh, praying this prayer in paraphrase, if you will, to God, so that I'm focusing on the concepts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I go into my uh, prayer closet, if you will, and I'm addressing God and recognizing the Abba Father uh, character of God, I can approach him and say... uh, daddy if you will and so i'm not real concerned over over the hour although when i'm paraphrasing because i'm relating the prayer uh, to myself kind of like a jabez type prayer but um, i just wanted to share that uh, perhaps if uh, listeners wish to paraphrase something they could get away from the automatic and the rote aspect Mm -hmm. of it Sure, because it is a pattern um, that Jesus tells us to follow. We don't always have to pray the exact words. 
And I think what I'm finding as we go through this study is that sometimes these are uh, both and questions and answers. It's not necessarily either or. Sometimes it's a both and. We can pray it individually. We can pray it together. We can understand that God is our Father, and we have a special individual relationship with Him, but He is also the Father of all of our brothers and sisters right. in Christ. So there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it that that goes both ways with that. Yeah, so, I think these two first words are also humbling. So when I say "our Father," uh, I'm talking about well, He's not just my Father; He's also the Father of all other believers, including those believers who don't believe exactly the way I do. And so, so I don't have a, a claim on him. And the fact that he's father, um, and I'm going to get back to my comment here, he's father, not mother, or not you know, a genderless thing, uh, even though we do understand he doesn't have a gender, but he fulfills that role as an authority figure. right? So when I come to him, I have to be humble that I don't have a claim on him. Rather, he is the father, the authority figure over me and over all of the church. Mm-hmm. And that's good, and, but yet at the same time, there's this intimate, close relationship that he's drawing us to. Yep. So he is this huge authority figure, like you're saying, Steve, I like that. But he's, he's trying to show us here that, you know, come to your father in prayer and call him your father and recognize him in that, you know, I want this close relationship with you. I love you. I want you to love me, and I want you to come to me in prayer. That's right. And this goes really right into the next couple of words here. Um, the King James would say, which art in heaven. In the NIV, it says in heaven. So it's our Father in heaven. Now, why would that be there? And and I think the speculation has been from what I've read and what I've heard on this is, you know what? We're, we're acknowledging that, that God the Father is in a place, I mean, yes, he's within our spirits through the Holy Spirit, but he's in a place that we can't get to on our own. So yes, he's intimately familiar with us as as a child, but he is still all-powerful. He is still in the place that we can't get to on our own. We rely on him to get to where he is. So you know, we're going to kind of go a little bit more quickly here, I think. The whole idea of hallowed be your name or hallowed be thy name. Uh, I could get into a whole lot of stuff here, like the fact that this is written in the third person imperative for which there is no such English um, structure. Um, but basically, it's hallowed means to be respected or revered and holy. What it is, it's an imperative. It's It must be done. God's name must be understood to be holy. It is not optional. So God's name must be made holy. And we are part of God's family. And so we carry his name. Have you ever thought about that? There was a um, man who I heard of. It's not even one of these men in our notes who told us one time when we were in a group of people, he said that he adopted a child. He and his wife adopted a child. And they were asked by the judge who was doing the adoption, what is the most important thing you are giving this child? And they said, of course, love. And the judge says, well, love is important, but that's not the most important thing. You are giving this child a name. Because from now on, this child will be part of your family. 
as much as any other child who, um, even biological child, is part of your family. And when we say, hallowed be thy name, we have to live in such a way as to represent the family of who the head is God. We need to be representing him and realize that we want to live the way that he wants us to live. You know, and I think, too, by, you know, we've addressed him as Father who's in heaven, and and now we're trying to show honor and respect and revere him. It's a way of recognizing who he is, but we're, we haven't come yet to bring our petitions, but we're in praise to him and we're in worship to him uh, by this direction that he's given us to realize that he is holy and recognize his holiness mm-hmm. and sovereign over everything. The... Next part, though, here we're asking for one more thing, where it says, Thy kingdom come, and I'm even going to get into the next part, which says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, This is going to be quick here. We only have a few more minutes before today's episode ends, but we are looking again at that uh, third person imperative. It is not optional. The kingdom is going to come. Now, Uh, This is going to be difficult to get in, as I said, but there are a couple of different ways that we can look at this, I believe. I think that one version is that the kingdom of God is within you. Now, there have been some recent Bible translations, and when I say recent, I mean the last uh, couple, three, four decades, where they're getting away from that uh, passage in Luke 17, 21, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you, to say, the kingdom of God is in your midst or in the midst of you or among you. Now, when I looked up the transliteration from the Greek interlinear Bible, it's it reads this way. The kingdom of God inside of you is. So I'm not sure where, where the more modern translations are picking up the idea of among you or in your midst. I believe as the older versions, like the King James, even the Geneva Bible, which was the one that the pilgrims used because that new King James was just too newfangled. I'm talking the old King James was their new King James, and that was too newfangled. They went to the Geneva Bible, but both of those used the word, um, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is within you. Also, another person who I had been reading about says that when we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're praying for the millennial kingdom of Jesus here on earth to come. Now, that was the first time I'd ever heard that, but without getting into all of the whys and wherefores, he was using something that he was talking about primarily in the book of Revelation with the incense and the um, the golden uh, bowls being full of the prayers of the saints being the prayers asking for the kingdom to come. That was an interesting way of looking at it. I'm not going to say that was it, that that wasn't it, but it's another way to look at it. And the idea is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've seen this go another way, and a lot of people that I've seen in the church over the last um, different, oh, maybe 10 years or so, are almost making it look like they're trying to bring God's kingdom about here on earth the way that it is in heaven, and can we really do that? Well, I think his kingdom just came down because God came from heaven and was born upon this earth through the person of Jesus Christ, and and uh, and so the kingdom of God did come down in the flesh. Mm-hmm. I think we can 
make God's will be done here on earth when we follow his will. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think we can make it perfect as it will be one day, uh, but we can try and reflect what things are like in heaven as much as we can. I recall something my dad said years ago. He found a translation that says, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He said, since I'm made from dust, that it was a personal application to him. I'm made from uh, the earth, so I want God's will to be done in me. Mm-hmm. And one of the commentators that I've been reading from or heard in the Bible study, I guess this one was, is saying that um, it's 100% complete, total obedience to God, and that this can't happen apart from the Holy Spirit living within a person. And I know we are just about out of time. We have gotten through the part of the Lord's Prayer that I hoped we'd get through in this episode. So for Steve Wilson, Mick Wells, Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi. Lord willing, we'll have part two of the Lord's Prayer on our next episode of Reconciling Grace. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.